Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Go with me if you go to Mark chapter 2. No, he's called us higher. He's called, to, he's called us to live higher, to go deeper. Amen. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus gives this example to help us understand the priorities of things. In verse 21, he says, Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an an even bigger tear than before. Verse 22, he says, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the wine would burst the wineskins, and the wine and the skins would both be lost. New wine calls for new wineskins. I like that. New wine calls for new wineskins. Jesus came with a a message, a mission, a purpose that was unlike anything the world had seen. Jesus wasn't coming to just buy into where man already was and just see how I can fit in, see how I can go along with, and see how I can can apply this so, uh, in essence, It's something that you're already doing. He came to disrupt what man was doing. Jesus was a disruptor in every way. Everywhere he went, he disrupted, he challenged a a way of doing things, a way of thinking, a way of living, uh, what we valued, what we thought was important. And he would do his best through his imagery and through his examples to help us understand spiritual matters. Through his parables, through the kingdom of God is like a dragnet. The kingdom of God is like a a, a lost coin. The, the kingdom of God is like treasure buried in the field. You, you see his attempts to help us reconcile the natural with the spiritual, but he did it in a way to never compromise the spiritual. Jesus did it in a way to never compromise the true worth, the true value. And so as parables were natural imagery to help us understand an unseen principle, they were also a way of hindering and blocking those that did not want to see the unseen. His disciples one time came to him in the parable of the sower, which is actually the parable of parables. You can't even understand the other parables unless you understand this parable. And they came to him and they said, how come you you speak to them in parables, but to us, you open up you go a little deeper. And he said this, he said, for those uh, that have uh, that do that have ears but do not hear and eyes that do not see, 
understanding that if you don't come in this with an intent to understand my way, to understand my kingdom, to understand how the things in the unseen realm work, then you'll never understand. And in this example here with the the wine, the new wineskin being poured into old wineskins, what he's essentially helping us see, what he's trying to help us uh, understand is that if you take the new principles of my kingdom, the new principles of my way of doing things, what I've come to show you, and you try to filter it through your old way of doing things, you'll lose both. That the only way you can value the new things of the kingdom, if you will, when what's funny about that is they're not really new. They are the same way that God has always operated from the beginning of time. They were new to man because all they knew was failure. All they knew was depravity. All they knew was brokenness. All they knew was man-made religious attempts to try to uh, acquire what God had already acquired for us through the kingdom of God, what Jesus had already acquired for us in the kingdom through his suffering and through his resurrection. All we knew was my best way to accomplish something. He's talking to the religious folk mainly, and he's helping them understand, as we've been talking over these last several weeks, that our old traditions can find us in direct opposition to the kingdom. Our old way of doing things, our man-made attempts, our religious activity is inferior to the way that God wants us to operate in his kingdom. And so if I hear a kingdom principle and then try to filter it through my system, my tradition, my way of doing things, it won't work. The kingdom must be the filter. I must exchange my old way of doing things. Because if even if I take God's kingdom principles and package it in man-made tradition, he says, I'll lose both the tradition and the kingdom principle. I'll lose both. I'll be left with inferior activity. I'll be left with something that will never measure up. I'll be left worse off than I was before. New wine and old wineskins. And there's many ways that we do this. We, we touched on several of them last week, just understanding the difference between the kingdom of God and the traditions of man. Religion. Religion is man's best attempt to get to God. We said that religion preoccupies man until he finds the kingdom. Religion is just keeping people busy. You know what busyness is, right? Artificial significance. Busyness is just artificial significance. Oh, the enemy wants to keep you so busy, so tired, so wore out from striving and attempting and and moving and oh man I, I I look across the earth today, I look across our our culture and our society, and I see people just wore out trying to acquire what God wanted us to accomplish and 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 welcome out of rest and presence and just let me 
bring to you everything that I have for you. Man is so busy with his attempts. Man is so busy with his striving. Man is so busy with his becoming. Man is so busy trying to win a battle he's already fought, defeated, whipped. Now, I'm in no way trying to imply that just laying back uh, in a garden doing nothing is the way of life for the believer. We're to do something. But fighting for victory and fighting from victory look awfully different to the believer. There's engagement in both. There's a, a warring in both. There's a, a but, but, you know, our posture and our position, our wineskin changes everything. The wineskin doesn't change the new wine. It just makes it of no effect and value. I value my wineskin more than I value the wine, is, is in essence what he's saying. I value my package more than I value what is placed inside of the package. I value how it looks like on the outside rather than valuing what is placed on the inside. And some of us uh, want to acquire what God has, but we still want to package it in the way we've always done it, the way it's always been. Oh, we love our the way it's always been. There are many ways in a man's heart but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails, huh? And he gave you the creativity. He gave you the capacity to see ways to do something. But if those ways are not submitted to his plan, to his agenda, to his purpose, then I'm valuing my way over his will. I'll come to God and I'll say, God, we could do it this way. We could do it that way. We could, but which way would you have us do it? Because it's only your way that produces your will. I cannot produce your will my way. I cannot get your results doing it my way. I want kingdom results. I believe this earth needs kingdom results in the last. I, I think the earth is fed up with man's attempts. I think we have seen the, the, the end of what man can produce in and on his own. But if we can submit it to the kingdom of God, if we could submit it to the plan of God, if we could stop marrying our wineskins and start falling in love with the wine and say, Father, however you want to package it, however you want to do it, whatever night of the, the week you want to use, whatever time of day you want to use, whatever person you want to use, whatever moment you want to use, I believe we'll see the wine flow. I believe we'll see the, the, the kingdom come. I believe we'll see his will be done. But it's going to take a laying down of our wineskins, of our traditions. Remember, we've been looking in Matthew chapter 15. Jesus said, how come you violate God's command by your traditions? Meaning your wineskin is keeping you from enjoying the wine. Your package is keeping you from enjoying what I want to fill it with. We've got to fall in love with the, the right things. This is a, 
issue of priority that he's helping us understand that his kingdom ought to be priority over. Are we building our own kingdom? Is that what's happening? We say we're building the kingdom of God, but are we really just working really diligently and working really hard at building our own kingdom, our own following, our own base, our own systems? Man, the kingdom will strike down any form of selfish uh, ambition and and selfish uh, uh, gaining. Man, it'll, it'll shut it down quick, real quick. The rich young ruler found that out. Even if there's just an ounce of selfish ambition, it'll get plucked up. It'll be revealed real quick because not even Jesus came with selfish ambition. The son of God in the flesh on the earth could have easily said, come follow me for the sake of following me. But he said, no, I am the way to the father, the truth and the life. If you have seen me, You've, he was doing the best he could to become transparent, invisible, to lead you to another. If someone is following you, will they end up end up will they end up following God, or just end up following you? These wineskins, these wineskins become an issue. It's not because the wine doesn't have power. It's not because the wine isn't fresh. Not because the the wine can't change someone's life. It's because we are putting it inside of wineskins that are limiting, restricting the flow of the wine to the people of God. We've got to understand how these wineskins work. One way that we need to adjust our wineskin. And and I would put it to you this way. Whatever your wineskin is, is what ultimately determines your understanding. Whatever your wineskin is, whatever that package is, that's ultimately what determines your level of understanding. But here's what I know. I cannot apply beyond understanding. You'll never apply beyond what you are able to comprehend and understand. And in Jesus' day, they had a wineskin for the Messiah. You know, there's people still today that think the Messiah hasn't fully come. They're still looking for another. They're still looking for, why? Because they have a package. And if it doesn't meet the package, see, being born in a major didn't meet the wineskin that people had for the coming Messiah. The king came as a servant. You know, in the world, kings and servants are at the opposite ends of the spectrum. In the kingdom of God, they're the same. You can't even be a king if you don't know how to serve. You can't even rule unless you know how to serve over someone. Rule. uh, uh, You can't even rule over someone until you learn how to serve under someone. They go hand in hand. The greatest of these is the servant of all. It's the package. It's the wineskin. Being born in a manger, being a carpenter from 
a carpenter's son from Nazareth, right? Coming from a tiny little town, little podunk Nazareth, huh? little backwoods Nazareth. Read your Bible. They didn't think very highly of themselves. Themselves. I'm not talking others. I'm talking themselves. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. That's what they said about Nazareth. How could a man speaking with authority and wisdom and doing these great signs and wonders come from little town of Nazareth? Doesn't fit the wineskin. The only time Jesus couldn't do any mighty work was in Nazareth where they had the wineskin already laid out for him. They already had their package. No, the Messiah is supposed to be able to looks like this and talks like this and acts like this and and, and it's going to come from this and this is just Nazareth. The Son of God right there in their midst. Not able to do a mighty work. Not because of the wine because of the wine skin, because of what it was packaged in. So it it affects our understanding, and my my understanding affects my application. I can't apply what I do not know. If I don't know he's the Messiah, if I don't know he's the Christ, if I don't know he's the one come to save and redeem mankind, if I don't know this is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, then guess what? My my understanding is limited, therefore my application is limited. Jesus is viewed as many uh, different... Jesus has many different personifications with people, even today. Do we really know the real Jesus? Do we really know the true Jesus? Do we, or do we just know the Jesus that is told of us, told to us, spoken of, how he's referenced by people from past ages and generations? It's amazing in the church that there, there's really, um, you know, we've just got to do a better job, let me put it that way, of letting the word be the final authority. We've got to do a better job. Grandma is not the final authority. She loved the Lord with all her heart. She had a Bible that was torn up and highlighted and circled and written in. She never missed the service, but she's not the final authority on the word of God. Your pastor is not the final authority. I am not the final authority. You you do not have to believe anything just because I say it. You better believe it because you know it's in the word and it's true. But a lot of believers only believe what they have heard about Jesus. They don't know who he really is. And I would say there's, there's many different ways I could go with this. But this morning, I want to talk about the principle of lordship. Lordship. Because as I look out, and as I, you know, continue to have my pulse, my finger on the pulse of society, on the uh, pulse of culture, hey guys, good to, have y'all this morning, by the way. Always good to have friends. 
in town. Thank y'all for popping up with us. Um, it's this issue of lordship that just keeps coming up. And um, I think that we have overemphasized Jesus's role as Savior, and we have underemphasized Jesus's role as Lord. And I kind of wanted this morning just address that, um, help us understand simply that if we don't make Jesus Lord of our life, and if he's merely just a savior to you, you're missing the whole essence of why he came to this earth in the first place. He actually became a savior so he could become a Lord. We'll say that again. Jesus became a savior so that he could become Lord. And many of life's issues, I believe this wholeheartedly, many of life's issues and challenges for believers now that we face would be addressed if we would make Jesus the Lord of our life. There's many times, uh, you know, when we, uh, you know, counsel or we assist, or we come alongside, you know, that, that this issue will come up and we'll address it. We'll ask the question. Because you really don't have a financial issue, you have a lordship issue. You don't really have an anxiety issue, you have a lordship issue. You don't really have an offense or unforgiveness issue, you have a lordship issue. I'll keep going. You don't really have an addiction issue. You have a lordship issue. You don't really have, I can't seem to find the right church or the right pastor issue. You have a lordship issue. I can't seem to find the right job that just meets all my needs. No, you have a lordship issue. I can't seem to find the right people, the right community to get around me. No, you have a lordship issue. And I believe if we could just go ahead, all right, let's do this. Let's make Jesus Lord of our life. Let's see what clears up as a result of that. And then we'll address what's remaining. <laughs> and I just preached my entire message in that one statement. Because I truly believe it's the lordship factor that we have lost. I will put it to you this way. The enemy would love for you to believe that he's your savior alone. A believer that has made Jesus the savior of their life, but not the Lord of their life is no threat to the kingdom of darkness. You've fallen right into the trap of the enemy. There's a grave difference between Savior and Lord. We like to put it to you this way. Savior is what he did, but Lord is who he is. Savior is what he did. Savior is the activity. And we are in no way... uh, underemphasizing or devaluing or lowering the standard of Savior because to be the Savior of mankind, uh, that's the greatest act that this world has ever seen, that he would lay down his life. I love, I I read this just yesterday, and I'm going to try to say it without messing it up. The only sin that Jesus ever carried was ours, and the only righteousness you and I can have is his. Say that again. The only sin 
that Jesus carried was ours, right? He was a sinless, spotless, blameless lamb slain before the foundations of the world, before this thing even ever got motion, got legs, got moving. He said, I'll go. Send me, I'll save, I'll redeem, I'll restore, I'll deliver, I'll set free, I'll push back darkness, I'll undo what man did to themselves, I'll step in, I'll be the one that'll stand in the gap and say, no, don't send them to hell, don't condemn them to hell, they can have my righteousness, they can have my peace, they can have my joy, they can have my life. And in about three weeks, we'll celebrate that. When he rose from the grave, we ought to be celebrating it every single day of our lives. But that's what Resurrection Sunday is all about. Is now I get to take on his life. Oh no, I'm not lowering the standard of the Savior of this world. I'm not devaluing that assignment. But it wasn't the end. It was so that you could make him Lord. Again, honestly, you can go through the Bible from beginning to end and you could add the statement, if he was Lord, and it would correct almost every single issue you see. If he was Lord, they don't eat the fruit. If he was Lord, Moses doesn't strike the rock two times. If he was Lord, David doesn't fall uh, into the hands of uh, adultery through the temptation of seeing Bathsheba. If he was Lord, Samson doesn't compromise his anointing for the sake of selfish gain. Come on, if he was Lord, Peter doesn't cut off the ear. Peter doesn't stand before Jesus and say, may it never be. If he was Lord, Jesus did not just come to be our Savior. We, we, we tend to accept the level of things that require as little involvement, participation, and responsibility as possible. Honestly, the level of responsibility that you have to have to accept Jesus as Savior is you have to be the one to mess it up. That's what the Savior means. The word Savior means. It means doing for someone else what they could not do on their own. We were in need of a Savior because man lost the kingdom. Man had to regain the kingdom. There's a little bit of a dilemma there. God's the only one that can redeem mankind. But watch this. God's the only one that can't redeem mankind. Because he said, let them rule, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air. Who's them? Man. What is a man? A three-part being, a spirit, soul, and a body. Well, the Bible tells us that God is spirit. He's instantly disqualified from intervening and working in the affairs of the earth without going through man. 
right there, that's religious tradition for a lot of people. No, God's in control. God is sovereign. God can do whatever he wants. If he could, if you really believed he could do whatever he wants, you wouldn't be following him. No, you follow him because he honors his word. You follow him because he's a man that never lies. You submit your life to him because he's never lied and never broken a promise. And when he said, let them rule, he meant let them rule. So now God says, I'm the only one that can redeem mankind. I'm spotless. I'm blameless. I'm the only one that can't redeem mankind. I'm a spirit, and I've given control and authority in the earth through to man. So now I've got to find a way to put myself in flesh and put that flesh in the earth. That's how we end up with Jesus. That's how he becomes the savior of the world. You got to be qualified to be a savior. But he became savior so that we can make him Lord. Now, when I say make him Lord, he is Lord. (laughs) You can't use the, he's not my president. That don't work. Because there is a day that every knee will bow. Huh? Every tongue will confess. Yep, he was Lord. Yep. I should have said it when I could have volunteered myself saying it. Now I have to say it because I'm obligated to say it. Even the demons recognize that Jesus is Lord. That doesn't mean they make him Lord. That just means that they see, yep, he's Lord. The word Lord means this. It means master, controller, owner, Going slow for those of you that are writing it down. Master, controller, owner. But my favorite one is supreme in authority. Supreme in authority. That's a Lord. We don't really have a a natural, um, you know, example of this in our day and age. Uh, probably mostly because we're afraid to give anyone that level of control and oversight in our lives. The closest term that we could probably apply today would be landlord. Landlord. If you rent a home and you have a landlord, you do not own that home, but you are responsible for managing the affairs of that home. But the landlord, the owner of the home, they're the owner, the controller. They're the supreme in authority. And not very many believers attain to the level of recognizing Jesus as Lord. And thus we have a lot of challenges that I believe we would find wouldn't be challenges at all if we take the step of recognizing him as Lord. I want you to see this passage in uh, Matthew chapter 8. Give us a natural recognition. In Matthew chapter 8 and um, verse 5. Guys in the back, if you could load up uh, Romans 10. 
for me in the uh, New King James. I don't think I gave you that one before service. In Matthew chapter 8 and verse 5, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him. This is a Roman centurion. A Roman centurion was typically over uh, around, had oversight of about a hundred soldiers. He came pleading with him saying, Lord, there's the word Lord. My servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. Now, I do just want to go ahead and give you a little backdrop. This Roman centurion is, is not one that recognized Jesus as Lord the way we ought to recognize Jesus as Lord. But he does recognize something about the operation or the role of Jesus in this moment. He's not a Jew. He's not one of those that was waiting, looking for the Messiah. He wouldn't fall into the same category as the Jewish leaders. Of course, this is a Gentile. He is outside of the Jewish company and the Jewish, um, you know, lineage. But he recognizes something about Jesus. He's appealing to a higher power. And watch what he says here. He says, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. Jesus responds as he did with many other people uh, in his day and in his ministry. I will come and heal him. We saw many times where if people could just get in the presence of Jesus, whether it was him physically laying hands on them, rebuking the sickness, rebuking the disease, Casting out the demon, even raising back to life. Uh, we, we know later on, uh, there, there were others that he didn't touch them. They touched him, right? There was a woman that came, touched the hem of his garment. We know even in the, the book of Acts, many of the apostles and the disciples, it, it, just their shadow could touch somebody and they would be healed. Presence is a powerful thing being in the presence of God, being in it, literally where it's tan tangible, where you can uh, uh, participate and integrate with what is happening in that moment. But this Roman centurion does something really interesting. This Roman centurion takes a step here that Jesus later calls great faith. Jesus says, I will come and heal him. But look at verse eight. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. But here it is. Only speak a word and my servant will be healed. This is a whole nother level. Did you know that the power of a word can transcend presence? You know, even our own military follows this. We've got an Air Force base right here in town. And when orders come from Washington, D.C., when it comes from the commander-in-chief, when it comes from a high-ranking officer, the Pentagon, what, what, what have you, they do not have to physically show up in Valdosta, Georgia, 
at Moody Air Force Base to deliver a word and to deliver an order. The power of that word coming across whatever uh, form of telecommunication they use as they communicate that carries as if that person, that high-ranking officer, the commander-in-chief himself showed up in person in the place and gave you the direct order. And you are to respond in the same manner. They don't get to say, well, if he really wants us to do that, let him come down here himself. Huh? Don't work that way. The word. The word. Sometimes I think we're seeking presence and God is saying, just seek my word. You'll find everything you need is in the word. I have found that when God is silent, I can rely on his presence. But I have found that there are times that even in his presence, he's still trying to reinforce his word. He's always trying to get us back to his word. The authority is in the word. Demons responded to the word. There were times that the presence would draw them out, but it was the word that would send them out. You ever notice that one time where uh, Jesus was ministering? I think he was in a synagogue. Jesus was ministering, and the Individuals that were demon-possessed or had demons came running to Jesus. Now, Jesus is in a synagogue, a Jewish synagogue, where they've always had services. How come those demons never came out before? How come those? And see, even in the presence, even in the glorious presence of Jesus, they still recognized authority. See, lordship is how we recognize the authority of Jesus in our lives. If he's only savior, then you have not given him access to your life after salvation. You haven't given him access to after. You have not made him the supreme in authority, the final word, the final say in your life. Salvation is a tremendous experience, but it is not the end. It is the beginning. It is to point you to, now this man that just saved you, he can rule and control and manage your entire life for you. But that has to be submitted. We have to submit to Jesus as Lord just as much as we have to submit to Jesus as Savior. So, he says, just speak a word, and my servant will be healed. Notice the, the, the definitiveness in this. You just say the word, my servant will be healed. He's not hoping, he's not wishing, he's not getting, he knows. I mean, that's some, that is a level of confidence right there. I mean, if it were me, I'd be like, you know, I'm pretty sure your word has the power to change this, but go ahead and come to my house just in case. <laughs> like, like, you know, let's just have a plan B. Go ahead and say it, but if you wouldn't mind, let's tra- travel back with me. Let's just make sure. And if the word didn't work, then you can lay your hands on like you did everybody else, and I'm sure that'll work. No, I mean, he's like, don't even come. I believe in the power of your word so much. You don't even need a, I don't need a backup plan. Come on, when you're operating in great faith, you don't, there is no backup plan. Even with Jesus, 
Jesus, I'll obey you in this, but uh, uh, if that doesn't work, I'll obey you in this way too. No, he's saying, man, just, uh, just speak the word only. The end. No plan B. I believe it'll work. Now, this is why. I love that they left the explanation in there. We could have easily just ended it right there. And, 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 and Jesus says the word, or Jesus says, you've got great. I mean, we could skip over this next part, but they left this part in here because it was so important. Look what he says in verse 9. For I also am a man under authority. Everyone say under. Now, if you are highlighting the fact that my word, that, that Jesus's words have the power to heal a servant without even being in the room. If you're having, if you are highlighting the element of Jesus's words having authority to change a situation where your presence isn't even, uh, where you aren't even actually in the location. I would not be emphasizing that you are under authority. I would be emphasizing that you're in authority. Does that, does that make sense to everybody? You get that. My, my statement in response would have been, for I also am a man in authority. But to be in authority, he recognizes you've got to be under authority. And if I don't remain under authority, I can't operate in authority. And this is what we need to understand, that our level of authority can never exceed our level of submission. Your authority will always be a result of your submission. Now, he made you kings and priests unto our God. He made you to rule, manage, dominate the affairs of the earth. He put you in a position of authority. He's placed you at the right hand of the Father, seated with Christ in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. He's placed you in a role of authority governing the affairs of the earth. But if we miss the element of submission, will never acquire the element of authority. Adam and Eve operate in authority until what? Rebellion. Rebellion is the most dangerous word in the kingdom of God. Rebellion and independence, dangerous words in the kingdom of God. When you start living for yourself, when selfishness arises, when pride arises, when selfish ambition arises, we got a problem. It doesn't work in the kingdom. We love independence in the United States of America, but it doesn't work in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, the only freedom that you enjoy is submission to the king and his plan and his word. It's set up that way. And it's a great life. Don't let the enemy trick you into thinking that you, well, you know, you got to just serve and you got to go this, go there and do this and, and read that and pray this. And, oh, it's just such a restricting. No. It's the greatest freedom you'll ever live. 
whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Not a false freedom like what the enemy wants to give you. Oh, in my kingdom, you're free to choose as you wish. Live as you desire. Anything goes. Whatever you want. My kingdom lets you do what, whatever you want. That's what he was tempting Adam and Eve with. Yeah, in his kingdom, he's got restrictions. You can't eat of that fruit. In my kingdom, you can eat the fruit. And you'll know what God knows, and you'll be more like God. No, that's false freedom. Now you just ended up bound. But whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Now I live according to his principles. Now I live according to his word. Now I live, and now I get to enjoy everything that's within the boundary. Adam and Eve failed to remain under authority, so they were removed from authority. King Saul, 1 Samuel chapter 15. King Saul's given a command, go and utterly destroy the Amalekites. Leave nothing alive, no animal, no woman, no child, no man, no king, no servant, nobody. Utterly destroy the Amalekites. Saul chooses out of pride and out of selfish ambition once again that he's going to leave the king alive. He's going to leave the best of the animals alive. He's going to leave some women and children alive. And Samuel comes back, finds out that things that are uh, supposed to be dead are alive and making noise. He says that. Why do I hear all these sheep and cattle making noise in the background? Oh, well, we kept the best alive so that we could sacrifice to the Lord. Don't you understand that obedience is greater than sacrifice? Because the greatest sacrifice, Saul, that God wanted was you. Not your stuff. As Samuel turns away, Saul grabs his robe and tears it. And Samuel, the prophet, says, just as you have torn my robe, God has torn this kingdom from your hand and given it to a man after God's own heart. He failed to remain under authority. Therefore, he was removed from authority. This matter of lordship would solve many of life's problems if we would just simply correct Is he Lord of my life? Now, Romans 10, guys, if you would go there for me. Romans chapter 10. You know these verses. This is how we get saved, right? This is how we get born again. And again, when we're taught that becoming born again is how we get to heaven, and that's all we're looking at, and that's all we're living for, then no wonder we see Jesus more of as a Savior than a Lord. 
But the very verse that we use to get people born again and to get them to come into the kingdom is found right here in 10 verse 8 says, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we preached. Verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, he says, what? You will be saved. I wonder, actually, if salvation is more of a result of lordship rather than lordship being a result of salvation. Even the act of salvation is honoring the Lord in recognizing I'm coming to you. I cannot save myself. I cannot redeem myself. I cannot deliver myself. I want to be a part of you and your kingdom. I'm making you Lord of my life. And this word confess is the most trickiest word that we maybe have. Because when we say confess, we usually think about what? Saying something. But that's not what that word means. For you and I, our words don't carry a lot of weight and value anymore. Huh? We say we're going to do something. We say we're going to be somewhere. We say we're going to help someone. We say we're going to do this or do that. But it's so easy to what? Break that. Disengage from the words that I gave you. The Bible tells us that we're to swear to our own hurt. I said it, man, something's come up, but I'll be there. I give you my word. This word confess means to agree. It means to agree, and it carries the connotation of a binding contract. It is a contractual contract agreement. Binding by both parties. That's what the word confess means. It is not just a prayer of salvation. It starts with the confession. It starts with uttering something. It starts with saying something. But let me be honest with you guys. Your life will tell us all whether you've made an agreement or not, not your words. Your life will reveal. Now, again, to make Jesus Savior, all you have to do is recognize, I I messed this thing up. I need someone to help get it all back for me. I love what my pastor says. He says, you don't even have to like someone for them to save you. Huh? Somebody can save you that you don't even care for. That you don't even have a value for. You don't even have a relationship with. Savior, in one sense, could almost be the lowest level of relationship in one instance. You determine that. That's not what Jesus wanted. Jesus wanted to save you and redeem you so that you could be back in partnership and back in a restored position once again. That was Jesus's intent. And I want to make a binding agreement. I want to come into a contractual agreement with you 
that if you'll allow me to manage, rule, control, take care of, that I'll provide for you the best life that you can never provide for yourself, that you'll never find anywhere else in this world. And this is the thing. There are all kinds of things in our lives that are contending for lordship. I mean, let's just be real about it. Lord is not even a Christian term. There's so many words that we read in the Bible that we think come from the Bible. The Bible created. Lord was a governmental term. Lord was the term recognizing someone's role in someone else's life. Lord was not just associated with Jesus. This isn't even a godly man that's approaching Jesus saying, Lord, will you come and heal my servant? It's interesting because later on in Matthew chapter 8, toward the end, we see uh, Jesus and his disciples out on a boat in the middle of a storm. And the storm's waving and whipping them around and about ready to destroy them. And the disciples cry out, Lord, don't you care that we're about to die? Lord is just a term that they use to appeal. To them, it was almost saying, sir, sir, do you care? It was just recognition of a role. They're appealing to a higher power. Can you do something for us that we're not? But that is not the term. That is not the recognition that Jesus wanted when we confess Jesus as Lord. He wanted to be invested in the most integral parts of our lives. He wanted to be involved in every aspect and detail of your life, not to control you. Not Jesus is not a micromanager. Jesus is not, let me take care of that. No, he wants to take care of it. He wants to provide for it. He wants to resource it. When you make Jesus Lord, he becomes, in essence, responsible for the affairs of your life. A Lord was not just someone that controlled and managed. He was responsible. So if I look at your life and I and, and you're down in the dumps and you're not doing well, I know that you're not lorded well. I know that whoever is managing you and managing the affairs of your house and managing your stuff isn't doing a good job. The country always reflects the king. You're not a good king if you're, People are not taken care of. You're not a good king if they're not provided for. You're not a good king if they're not fed well. You're not a good king if they're malnourished and depraved. You're not a good king if they don't have enough to take care of their own livelihood. Your home's in the dumps. It's a reflection back to the king. Well, let me tell you, you serve the greatest king, the greatest king, the highest king. And that also means that you live by their resources. When you, when you rent a home and you call a landlord because there's a, a leak or there's a problem or there's an issue in the house, you call the landlord and guess what? The landlord should take care of it. I don't even worry about it. 
For some of us, our worry and our anxiety is a result of a lack of lordship because you've taken on things that the Lord is supposed to be managing, that the Lord is supposed to be caring, taking care of. You're worrying about your health and your healing rather than appealing to the Lord. Lord, this is a body that belongs to you. I'm a temple of the Holy Ghost. I need some healing. And the Lord will take care of it. But when you don't recognize him as Lord, then you start trying to take care of things that the Lord is supposed to be taking care of. Lordship. I mean, if you want a revival, if you want an awakening, watch what Lordship will do for you. I think what happens is we end up crying out for things that we think are the answer or the solution to problems and challenges that we have. And we'll do everything but make Jesus Lord of our life. We'll attend every service. I mean, there's been times Brother Hagen told stories about this in healing lines, that he'd get a word. Don't pray for them. They've been out of alignment for my will for the last 10 years. Lordship would have provided to them what a healing line couldn't. What the man of God or the prophet of God standing before him. Do you think God wants that individual healed? Absolutely. But do you think he's trying to get to a bigger picture? Do you you think that God is trying to address another issue? Let's say what what you're actually chasing after and what you actually want, you would find as a direct byproduct and a result of getting your life in alignment with my will and with my plan. Now, God is not a, if you do this for me, I'll do this for you. But the thing that you have invited into your life, you have welcomed because you're out of alignment of my lordship and you would find that my lordship would provide the things that you're searching for and seeking after. Lordship. Make him Lord of your marriage and watch the reconciliation and restoration show up. Make him Lord of your life. Make him Lord over your heart and watch the bitterness drain away. Make him Lord over your body and watch the health come. Make him Lord of your finances. When he says give 10%, Don't let the offering time and the tithe time be the worst part of service for you. Always contending with, well, I don't have it, or I don't even know if I should have to give it. When he's Lord, we're not having those conversations. When we give, we understand that I'm giving to the Lord who owns it all anyways. I'm returning to the Lord what already belongs to him. God is saying, I want to have a hand in your finances. Worship team, if you come, I want to have a hand in your body. I want to have a hand. I want to have a part to play. And some of us haven't welcomed the lordship of Jesus, but yet we want the blessing of Jesus. And you would find that you would get the blessing if you would yield the lordship. Would y'all stand with me? I want to take a moment today. This, there's not much to this. It's a very simple thought. 
I don't even know that I had three points today. And I had a whole other direction I was going to go with religion and traditions. And I tied in Mark chapter 2 as best as I could. But I think it's time to get rid of some old wineskins when it comes to who Jesus is. I think it's time to sacrifice, lay down even what we want Jesus to be to us. And just start from, will you make me Lord? I think that's the call that he wants to make today. Oh, we can sing about being a way maker and a miracle worker and a promise keeper. I love Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord. Recognize the true role that Jesus wants to place in your life today. Recognize who Jesus really wants to be in your life today. It's not hard. Paul says it's as simple as confessing with your mouth, believing in your heart. That's where we start. I offer it up in my heart. I lay down the pride, the things that I want to lord over, the things that I want to manage, the things that I want to control. And I put Jesus on the throne. Because some of us are trying to exercise authority in areas of our lives where you haven't yielded authority. You haven't submitted authority. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.